0: This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. I hope everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods. You know, I, I noticed that I never say really the whole title to the show. Welcome to the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. I guess we could shorten that up, but I guess I never really do say it. Anyway, so let's start talking about what's going on inside of your world, because that's always important. How are things? Are things going well? Are you taking a look around and what's going on inside of this world? Hopefully before we get to the end of the year, things will improve. That's always something that we can look forward to. And it's always important to see how everybody else is doing. So let's never play that down. So as we get into today's episode, I want to tell you what is going on here today, because it's always important to discuss with you what is happening. Today, I have the lovely opportunity of sitting down with Jorge Torres. Jorge is a certified safety professional with a simple mission to improve safety and construction industry by changing the approach to how we manage it. Over the last 20 years and while working across the country both as an in-house safety professional and a consultant, Jorge has identified several key characteristics for success in safety and bringing a unique perspective into what works and what doesn't. His strategies have consistently improved safety outcomes, reduced risk, and increased revenue for both employers and clients. He currently serves as the Central Florida Safety Leader for the International Commercial Builder, provides consulting services to a select group of clients and offers leadership coaching to construction and safety professionals across several platforms. It is my privilege to bring in today Jorge, the bilingual safety guy Torres to the Jay Allen show. The Jay Allen show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. So how are things? I mean, are you staying busy? What's going on?
1: Yeah, pretty busy. Um, you know looking at uh, expanding projects and growing projects and new projects and uh with work you know and uh little stuff going on on the side
0: oh, i don't know about little out. stuff going on on the side you seem to be uh you seem to be busy in the social media world that we hang out in
1: ah uh, you know I, I try to share uh lessons i've learned throughout the years you know and uh help other people with uh questions that they may have
0: Well, I guess that's really really a lot of the questions that I'll have today is really how did the journey start for you? Because it seems like you've done a little bit of everything. And then, of course, I'm going to have all kinds of questions about the West Coast, but we'll get to that here Uh (laughs) here, here in a bit. But how did the whole thing start? How did you decide, hey, this is the path I want to go down?
1: So oddly enough, I started right here in Florida um, way back in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Um, I was a paramedic working on site. Uh, at the uh, expansion to the convention center uh, when they did phase five. And uh, never heard of uh, safety as a career before. You know, I was a medic running ambulances and I had a chance to go uh, work in an office, in a construction site, you know, daylight hours, no overnights. And (laughs) took that, (laughs) you know, and uh, uh, thankfully I had really good mentors. Uh, You know, there were people there from the safety team that answered all my questions and pushed me and drove me. And to this day, they still mentor me uh, in in my safety career, uh, but yeah, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Safety is not a thing in Puerto Rico, so um, you know, coming to uh, <laughs> coming to Florida, I was a, a shock to to learn that there was a career in safety.
0: Well, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because actually, the translation of of safety from Spanish to English is security is really the way that correct. it works out. So. Correct. um it, it's always amazing when people start hearing about that i, I think I, I could probably have some similarities to you in regards to background in puerto rico um like i tell people i lived there for a little bit or i like how i like to word it is i served my time there but i wasn't <laughs> a so nothing nothing against that so how so you grew up in puerto rico and then you came to the states or
1: i did i did i came to uh came to florida i was in my mid-20s um so i was already an adult uh i you know, like I said, I, I started in paramedicine and uh, mm-hmm. decided to move into the safety field. Um, a lot of motivation, a lot of... Uh, thankfully, the company I was with at the time, they did a little bit of both. They did medical <clears> and they did safety. So I had an opportunity to grow in the safety field without having to change companies. Um, and they were very open to mentoring me and allowing me to pursue that, that dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around the end of that project... Um, you know uh, it was coming to an end, and there wasn't much work left uh, in the Florida area and had recently had some significant changes in my life and uh, was open to travel and and they took it seriously
0: as, as said, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one of the companies that you interacted with quite a bit um that you were there for about close to ten years mm-hmm. i I've actually interacted with them as a client, and I thought oh, they were really? great I thought they were a yeah. great company um uh well, I'll just talk about that they did this triage thing that they had set up and it was Absolutely. excellent. Um, and I had it set up in multiple companies, and they did excellent work um, in regards, at least, of the interactions that I had with them throughout the years. So I always thought that they were pretty good. Yeah. Now, if you are going to say anything bad, you are so, <laughs> more than welcome. No, more. I, I, I would have
1: been. I would have been the guy doing the work on your site, right? So yeah. I was. I was the, the medic doing the triaging and making sure that things stayed, uh, you know, on, not under the radar. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it had to be, it had to be. But right. you know, helping the, the companies manage their claims and, and their injuries, right? So. Uh, pretty close relationship with the safety part of it and how it relates to recordability and, and claims and risk management. So like it was an easy transition uh, to move from the medical side to the safety side. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, the, the selling point was, you know, here I am treating injuries after the fact. Um, why not go on, try to prevent the injury from happening in the first place? Right. And, and try to be an effect or have an effect on the on the occurrence rather than on the outcome. And, uh, but, but so how
0: did you look at that, though? Because that has to really be a change because you're going from one standpoint where you're helping and you're treating. Now you're trying to prevent. I mean, there there has to be a mind shift that occurs at that particular time as well, because I'm, I look at it as, OK, you're kind of there post event, if that makes sense. And then now all of a sudden you're trying to prevent these things. So how how do you do the switch? How does it go for you where you go? OK, this is going to make sense.
1: Well, you know, it, it wasn't so much of a shift as a. I, I really used what I learned in the medical field, and triaging and treating injuries to to drive the message of, "Hey, here's what can happen if you don't follow the rules, right? If you don't do the the things that you need to do to be safe." Um, so, I was able to relate to what the potential outcome could be when when workers didn't quite follow the procedures that they were supposed to follow right so i didn't come from crafts so i didn't have that that craft to craft connection that a lot of safety people tend to have so i had to <laughs> find a different way of connecting and it was yeah. like you know I, I could either help you understand why to wear gloves or i can pick up the finger from the floor and then we can reattach it right so, so there was, <laughs> well, that's one so way to put it <laughs> yeah so, so there was there was a, a definitely a cell point for the for the worker to Uh, you know, to listen, right. And and to, to listen to the suggestions that I brought to the table. So um, it was, it was interesting. um, And it's always been a challenge, right. Uh, Working with, with craft and construction. um, It's a lot of really hardworking, tough guys, but uh, if if you have the right approach, I think it, it, you know, you can be significant in the way that you impact their lives.
0: Yeah, especially when you start talking about ex- accidental dismemberment in the way that you yeah, put absolutely. it. Absolutely,
1: you know, at the <laughs> <a> point.
0: <laughs> so here, here's my question to you. So you go from this very, very humid um, weather here in Florida, and then did you want a change of scenery? Did the desert start calling you? I mean, explain that one to me because I'm sl- so confused on.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> you know, you I, know I, I had a right. <laughs> I had a pit stop in in Texas before I made it out. You know, all, all the way west. So I, I traded very humid Florida to somewhat humid Dallas, <laughs> Fort Worth. And then I ended up in, in the Southwest. And, um, I will tell you what, I, I love the desert. I love the climate. It's, you know, there is something to a dry heat. Um, uh, there is something to that. Uh, it's a lot easier to acclimate to. And if you do the right things, a lot easier to not be bogged down with, uh, the heat as it happens in the humid climates. But, um, uh, mm-hmm. but I still do, I still love the desert. Uh, you know, uh, Arizona is probably one of my favorite places, um, specifically the uh, Flagstaff area. It's a beautiful, high desert environment. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, Florida's Florida, man. You got parks, you got beaches, you got everything out here. So,
0: Right. I mean, you, got, you have a little bit of everything, but I, I have yeah. to tell you, if you said that you served some time in Texas, I, I had the blessing of doing the exact same <laughs> thing. When it comes to Texas in particular... If you want the weather to be different, all you have to do is just wait a little bit because I mean it changes significantly right away. Yeah,
1: you know, and and the Dallas Fort Worth area specifically, man. That you go from, you know, you can get up to seventy two degrees. It'll be a hundred by by noon. Tornado warnings by four, and then nice and clear night. Right, so uh, it, it is a kind of weird weather as you go through the year. Um, but you know, I, I love Texas, man. I went my mm-hmm. wife in Texas. My son was born in Texas. Um, yeah,
0: you be, you better keep it clean there for sure. Yeah, I mean, if I you know, see you didn't I, like Texas, that might be around. No, it's I, interesting because you see, you say Dallas, Fort Worth. Actually, uh, part of my, I guess I'll say part of my training when it came to broadcasting was right there in Arlington. So it's it's kind of funny on how such a I small in Arlington. Well, so I mean, it was right there next next to Six yeah. Flags. That's how specific, um, awesome. it was back 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 in the day, but. Many, many, many years ago. So who, who even knows at this particular point of the school's even there? So let me ask a couple of strange things. At what point do you start thinking or when does this thought start coming into your mind of the bilingual safety guy? Because you noticed that there was something missing inside of the industry. You noticed that there's a lot of stuff for English speakers, just the way, the way that it is. So at what point do you start analyzing, hey, that this is something that you're going to do in the future? that this is something that you want to actually move forward with and you're doing big steps with it. So what do you, at what point did you start thinking that this is something you need to start looking into?
1: So, I, I mean, it wasn't a specific moment. I've had this thought about targeting or, or focusing on the, the Hispanic population. I mean, it, it is pro- the, the largest population or the largest group in the construction industry. Right. Um, and like you said, I mean, it, it's severely underserved when it comes to, you know, the approach, right? So, uh, most education is, created in English and then translated uh, often very poorly, right. To, uh, to try and meet the, the bilingual requirements uh, in the regulations. But when you start reading some of those documents, they don't make sense in, in any form of Spanish. Right. So <laughs> right. trying, trying to find a, uh, you know, a way that we can communicate and, and drive that understanding with that uh, Hispanic community in the construction industry. I always thought that was important. Um, you know, you look at the research that's out there and, you know, it, it, highest impacted uh, demographic in construction is Hispanic population. Um, the least educated uh, demographic in, in construction is the Hispanic population, right? So uh, that, those two things kind of don't balance out in, in my mind. So uh, my thought was, you know, let's start looking at ways to uh, engage with the Hispanic community in the construction industry and, and see how we can develop some resources for them to educate themselves. Um, you know, help employers that that want to focus or, or put a little more effort into that education piece, to their Hispanic uh, workforce, and, uh, you know, make it something that is valuable and actually um, actionable, right? Not, not just words on paper.
0: So as you looked at this, and this is something you started taking a dive into, okay, you're noticing the translation's wrong. It can't just be words on paper. It needs to be actionable, as you're saying. When do you start looking at organizations that or can we talk about some of the places you worked at or maybe even some of the people that you get to interact with? When at what point do you think that quote unquote they have it wrong? Where, hey, I'm using Google Translate. I thought I was doing my due diligence by doing so. So at yeah. what point do you look at that and go, okay, this is really where the dive needs to start going?
1: So I, I think the biggest effort has been in, in my current employer. And, uh, you know, it's it's the company is very focused on developing individuals, right? And, and there's a, a very high level of care for, for the workforce. And it's, it's the first uh, general contractor that I work that actually has self-performed work as part of their, uh, you know, as part of our, our, our group of people, right? So uh, this impacts our guys directly, right? It's not just, uh, you know, not, not that it's any better or worse, you know, but it's not a GC looking at subcontractors. These are self performing craft that are directly hired by by the company um, and you know it's a it's a large company it's an international company um, and again multiple markets across the south the the south and southwest and southeast with a high level of hispanic population in, in our ranks and uh, you know the the ability to interact with other members of the leadership team across the organization that are open to this idea that we really need to focus on Delivering the message correctly—not just a message, but the correct message in the correct way. Um, so I think I think the, the biggest emphasis uh, for this has come out in the next two years, two and a half years or so for me. Um, even though the idea has been there for for quite a while, I mean th- this has been the opportunity that I've had to actually focus and put time and effort into, uh, you know, engaging, uh, you know, a large organization in a way that it's creating some positive effects.
0: Um, So how would you look at this from a standpoint of an organization, let's say not bringing in an outsider, they're just, they're just an organization, they're established, they're trying to do their thing. Do you think that there should be a good mixture of English, Spanish, or whatever other languages are tied in, in different kinds of trainings? Should there be a mixture of them? Should there be like a pause for the cause where English for a moment, go into Spanish, go into whatever other language and then come back? Or should they be um, actually considered a two separate trainings?
1: I think, I think it should be separate. It's very yeah. difficult to, you know, stop midstream, translate, and then come back, right? That, that's, to me, that's an easy way to lose your audience, right? You're, you're going to be losing half your audience half the time, right? So um, I, I prefer, and I think, you know, you look at OSHA's training requirements, right? So you can't do translation, uh, for example, of a 10-hour class unless you make it 20 hours, right? And there, there's a reason for that. And is that, you know, you lose your audience. You know, you, you if you stop, while you're translating from one language to the other, the rest of your audience is completely disconnected and then by the time that you get them back they've lost some of the learning opportunities so um, I think it's better to to establish however many languages you have within your organization whether it's you know Spanish English um, uh, Creole with the you know South South Florida you know high uh, Haitian population so Creoles big over there um, Make sure that you have trainers that are capable of delivering the message in that language, and focus on that language uh, one training at a
0: time. Well, and it's good that you say that because here's the thing: people tend to forget the the different dialects between Spanish. Because we're talking, we can talk about. Spanish from Spain. We can talk about Spanish from Mexico. We can talk about from Spanish from Puerto Rico, where you you might be able to listen to somebody and they say a word that means something entirely different to you. Um, and, and I'm talking good, bad, and indifferent because I've had some of those conversations. Um, yeah. But it, where it can mean something entirely different, where it maybe it needs to be a little bit tailored to what exactly is going on with the different languages inside of the organization. So as you're looking at this and even giving the, the example of the OSHA 10, when you look across the board, do you think that this is a big change in people's financial budgets on how they have to do their training going forward? Is that going to be a, a big difference? I mean, and what would you kind of take a look across the board with? I mean, especially when you start taking a look at what a price of an injury cost.
1: Yeah, uh, I, th- I think there's a, it's an absolute return on investment to put the money into the, the you know, using the, the right um, training in the right language, right? Uh, like you said, the, the, the injuries will cost far more than um, providing the right training in the right language. And, you know, and I say training and I'm, I'm cautious with that because, you know, a lot of the, the, a lot of the assumption is that training is you stand in a room and you deliver a speech to a group of people in the language that they kind of sort of understand.
0: I thought but I was supposed to just read a manual. I thought that was all I was doing. I thought that was a training. Well, I've been to yeah, some I mean- of those. I wasn't sure.
1: You know, and there was a time, you know, I, I can tell you, I slept through a lot of classes uh, in my early years in safety, right? So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you have to take it to the field, right? So some of that is interacting with the group in the field and, you know, in uh, in real time. And yes, there's absolutely a cost to it. But, um, you know, I, I haven't done any research on it to put numbers, but I, I can pretty much, uh, I, I, would, I would venture to say that if we did the numbers, we could find that there's an absolute return on the investment. Um, just the cost of claims in the last few years has gone so far out of way. Matter of fact, there's an article recently on um, uh, safety and health magazine from this month that talks about the, uh, the cost of uh, claims in construction specifically uh, in the top 10 type of injuries. Right. So, so uh, if it's something that I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's something that, that a lot of people can go easily find and, and see the numbers. Right. And we are talking, you know, it's in the billions of dollars. Uh, so investing, you know, hundreds of thousands to say billions, I think it's absolutely a good business uh, decision.
0: Well, and you would hope that more people would have that understanding of hundreds of thousands compared to millions or billions. You know, there, there's right. a huge difference there. So let me just ask some uh, some kind of oddball questions. And keep in mind that I'm looking at you as a subject matter expert on this because, hey, when when you go by and you're calling yourself the bilingual safety guy, there's going to be tons of questions, of course. Sure. So here's the thing. When you start hiring people, and let's say, for instance, their dominant language or their primary language, I shouldn't say dominant language, or their primary language is Spanish or another, another language that's not English. Do you think that, that when it comes to that particular aspect, you should have people that speak that language outside of the training aspect? Maybe the people that supervise them are able to speak that language or at least have a good understanding of it. I would love to have your perspective on that.
1: Um, you know, I think as long as they've identified a reliable translator, um, you know, a, a supervisor in the field, I, I don't think that it would be necessary for them to master multiple languages, right? Just, just as an organization, and this is something that that uh, the the organization I'm with actually did in a pro- project in Texas. They did, they created a translation team, and these guys have different colored vests, and they had you know the vest said you know if you need help translating, uh, you know. Uh, Tap my shoulder, something along those lines, and you know, it, it, as a supervisor, if you're a foreman, if you're a superintendent on a project, and and there's something that you need to deliver to, you know, workers in the field or to a group, uh, having a good, reliable translator, I think that that fills that need. Um, you know, it, it would be very difficult for any organization to be able to hire people in multiple positions that can manage multiple languages, right? That, that's that's not something that would be an easy feat. Uh, anywhere in the world, I would think. Uh, even countries that have multiple languages as a, as a foundation. Uh, I think the translation translator, translator uh, would be the, the key there.
0: Well, I mean, as you know, I don't get me wrong, I probably use Google as much as the next version, but Google Translate is not an excellent source of getting information. I mean, it, as you referenced earlier, when you translate some of those things, it doesn't even make sense on how it translates. And it's more of a dialect issue. It's not really a... Let's say "quote unquote" a translation problem because it did translate it correctly. The problem is it translated it word for word of what you actually wrote out. So
1: exactly, and and even the the translator service right on your phone that that you speak into and it translates uh, you know in in real time. Um, you know, construction is a very technical field, right? So we, we have words that are not you know they're they're industry specific words, right? So um, you got to look at backgrounds too. So Puerto Rico, Mexico, construction is typically. Uh, you know, block and slabs, right? We don't use a lot of drywall. Uh, So most of the Hispanic population, when you ask them, hey, what's drywall? They'll either use a, uh, you know, poorly translated word like tabla roca for sheetrock, Mm -hmm. um, which is not something that exists, uh, (laughs) or they'll just simply use the word sheetrock or drywall, you know, because that's how they learned it uh, once they they got stateside, right? So, uh, With that said, though, it's a start, right? So if you don't have another tool, using those translator tools um, could benefit you, right? And at the very least, you'll get some laughs, right? And you you, you break the ice and you start that communication. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that can be solved with simply, you know, sign language, pointing, and, and using broken language, right? So. The, it's the beauty of the human human condition, right? We we seem to be able to understand each other with, when we have to, right? So yeah,
0: we're uh, adaptable for sure.
1: Very very adaptable, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's it's interesting that you bring it up, especially about particular words. I had a friend that was actually doing a speech, and he used the word or the word excuse me troubleshooting, and all of a sudden everything kind of came to a pause. Because no one, I guess they translated it the way that it was supposed to be translated exactly, and nobody knew what he was talking about, and all of a sudden, not sure what they were supposed to do next.
1: So I've, I've run into that myself, even in Spanish, right? So I'm I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, my wife is Mexican, so thankfully I understand most of the Mexican dialect, but, you know, Central Florida, we have people from all over Latin America, so I, I've been doing a class using words that I was confident everyone understood. And during breaks, someone would come up and say, hey, what does that mean in your world? Because it doesn't mean <laughs> that in my world, you know, and it's always a funny moment, right? So if you, right. if you take it as a funny moment, it just becomes a, a growing
0: point. Well, talking about some of the classes that you've done recently, I'll say earlier this year, I think it was May timeline, you were at the ACFS and you were doing a portion of an event for the, what they have, Safety Day, and you were talking about Hispanic people inside of the workplace. Could you tell some of our audience members a little bit more about that? Sure. So,
1: you know, we talked, this was a a whole panel of uh, safety professionals from from across Central Florida, uh, both Hispanic and Anglo, right? And that was by design. You know, we we were speaking about how to connect with the Hispanic population, and we didn't want the audience to think, you know, well, you guys up there are all Hispanic, so you have that going for you. Um, So we brought on board, you know, some very, very well-qualified non-Hispanic safety professionals that have been very successful in their careers, with uh, high Hispanic populations in their companies, and you know, the, the message that we wanted to deliver was, you know, as a Hispanic population, right? People think of the Hispanic population as, as a homogeneous entity, and and it's not, right? It's you know, people from different countries, different backgrounds, different cultures, different education levels. So you know, it's important for employers, supervisors to understand that you know, when you're approaching Hispanic workers get to know them first, right? Understand what their background is, where they come from. And, you know, try to avoid generalizations, try to avoid, you know, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes that, that we make in leadership is treating everyone the same. I, I think that's, that's not the right thing to do. I think we need to treat people, uh, you know, based on what they expect to be treated as, right? Um, and that, that's becoming more and more prevalent now in the safety world, right? The, the psychological safety of, you know, get to know the people you, you work with and, and talk to them, uh, as an individual, not as a member of a larger group, right? And so that was the message, right? It was very simply, you know, get to know your audience. Uh, spend some time talking to your Hispanic workers. You know, go have lunch with them. Sit outside. Bring your lunch and sit outside and just, you know, if, if they may not understand you, but for a little bit, you'll be the gringo loco and, and everyone has to laugh. <laughs> and, you know, eventually you end up having a good time and making that personal connection that helps you deliver that safety message.
0: Well, and, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, when you bring this up, because this is essentially human relations. I mean, we don't even have to go human resources. If you want to get to know somebody better, spend some time with them. that be over the phone, via chat, as we're, do, as we're doing in some portions, as we're doing virtual meetings, just depending on what's going on. And it's interesting on that. We have to sometimes go that far back and go, how do you want to be? It's, it really boils down to the golden rule to an extent is really when you, if you really break it down. So as you've, as you're going through this and you're talking in front of different crowds of people and you're having these discussions, are you getting the weird look? Are you getting that, that whole conversation piece of like, this seems way too basic. There's no, there's no way that that's it. There has to be more. What are, what are people telling you?
1: Sometimes, I mean, and, and you know, and it really is that basic, right? It's not complicated. It, it's just going back to, like you said, you know, the golden rule and, you know, what, what I was taught as a child growing up is, you know, respect every person for who they are, right? And, and not for who you want them or think they should be. Um, you know, and I think that drives those relationships. Um, you know, the, the feedback we've received has been very positive, right? It's been primarily, hey, you know, great points, um, you know, good reminders, right? Because this is not, it's not a new concept, right? This is things that people have known and, and are familiar with. Uh, but I think it's it's worth reminding uh, ourselves and, and our peers that it really is that simple. Build a relationship. Safety is about relationships, right? Take all the rules out, right? And, and if you don't have a good relationship with your workers, they're not going to listen, right? They're, they're not going to pay attention. Um, and, you know, understanding that no one comes to work with the intent of getting injured, uh, you know, make that personal connection and understand what it, what they need in order to not get injured. Because I guarantee you that's their goal as much as yours.
0: So let me ask you an opinion question because I this, this one is one of those that I always like to ask people because I'm always curious. Do you think organizations should get rid of the safety department and really yeah. just kind of have a cultural group? And I'm talking about culture for the organization opposed to it being safety culture and different culture for the organization? I mean, a few moments ago, you were talking about psychological safety opposed to just psychology overall. I mean, what do you look at? What, what's your thought process? And there's not a wrong answer. That's the great part about it because it's your thought process.
1: Correct. You know, and, and so, you know, there was a time when I thought that way that, you know, I'll be happy when I don't have a job, right? That, that means that people are safe. Uh, but you know, no, the reality- no, Don't
0: tell that in front of your wife. I always tell you know, <laughs> don't tell that in front of your wife. No, no, hey, I'm, I'm worried
1: I'm, I'm, I'm for her to make me the stay-at-home daddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, you know, but the reality of it is, you know, uh, you know, safety regulations are, are very complex, right? It, it is a law, and it is, it's a it's a legal field, and it could be a legal minefield. Um, and you know, one of the things that I talk to people about is, you know, think about any other law, federal, state, or local, where lay people can make interpretations of that law. Um, you know, safety is the only regulations where a person can look at the regulation as it's written, make a determination of how they're going to implement the program. And go with it, right? Try doing that with a seatbelt, right? You, you don't interpret whether you wear a seatbelt or not. You put it on, or you get a ticket, right? So, right. Um, so you know, it's. I think organizations uh, need uh, or benefit from having safety professionals on staff. Um, if, if nothing else, you know, we we bring perspective and we can bring clarity to those regulations, and and beyond that, we can help navigate the gray, right? There's a lot of gray in safety. Um, so how do you navigate that gray? without getting into legal trouble, without increasing the risk beyond what it's acceptable, right? So helping make those decisions on, you know, acceptable, tolerable risk versus intolerable risk. Um, I think that's what we bring to the table more than anything, right? And, you know, the conversations that I have with, with my project teams, that's what they come to me for. You know, they know safety. We, we've done a great job of teaching safety to project teams, right? We put them through 10 hour, 30 hours, safety training, accident investigate, all kinds of things. So we've done a great job in, in educating them on the foundations of safety. But when it comes to the gray, that's where they really reach out and say, hey, here's what I have. Here's what I think. What am I missing? Right. And, and having that experience that comes with a safety professional that's been in the field for a while, um, it really helps bring those those perspectives and and you know examples from past lives and and things that have worked and not worked in the past and and then we can make educated decisions right um, are we going to eliminate all risk absolutely not right but we can make an educated decision about how much risk we can take
0: so now that you're bringing that up are conversations already happening inside of the field at least on the portion that you're seeing where people are understanding in Spanish about Behavior-based safety compared to lean or a Six Sigma or a Hop or anything along those lines. Are those conversations already taking those deeper dives? Or are they still kind of at infancy stages where safety, safety?
1: Um, I think it depends on what organization you look at, right? And, and I can only speak to the organizations that I have been involved with, um, and I can say that it's it's not there. I mean, it's safety, safety. Uh, at, you know, right now, at where it is, um, constructions are hard not to crack because it's so dynamic. Um, a lot of these um, initiatives tend to start and develop in, in general industry manufacturing, manufacturing, chemical settings where there's a lot more stability. You know, the processes are are very much the same day over day over day. And there's time to go out and test these uh, theories and initiatives. Construction is very difficult. You know, you start talking about hop and and, you know, psychological safety and behavior-based safety. And, you know, the minute you think you're making ground, your whole team changes, right? Uh, big project plans. <laughs> everyone gets laid off. When Next week, everyone's new, right? And now you got to start again. So, um, you know, I, I think the conversations are there. I, think, I don't think it's, there's an ignorance of the, um, the, uh, the the aspects of safety that are or the different thought processes behind safety in the construction industry. I think it's just difficult to pick one and move on uh, because it's so dynamic. It lends itself to, well, let's try something now this week, right? Or let's try something else next week. And that can be overwhelming. Um, what I've seen a lot in in the companies I've been involved with is that uh, you know you haven't set the tone on one initiative, and you know you're already looking at the next, right? Uh, you know, trying to get to that target zero thing, right? And uh, oh, you so said it. You so said the target I, zero I, I, thing. I knew oh. you wanted to hear it. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, I think I think that's the the big driver out there in the construction industry, still the idea of zero, um, you know, and and you know, well, and, and, you know, a lot of safety professionals are, are starting to move away from that idea. Um, most companies want to do, you know, they talk about smart goals, right? Set some smart goals and uh, target zero is as far from a smart goal as you can get.
0: Well, I mean, I always think it's interesting because I heard a guy say this one time and I thought it was genius on how he said it. What happens after the one incident? Then where do you go? Where do you go from there? I mean, do you call it quits? I mean, is everything like, hey, and I mean, and I know it sounds terrible to say, hey, target 10. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. Hey, well, let's just take 10 people out. And then which 10 are they? If we can point them out. But it's so always I, just good. Kind of, mm-hmm.
1: I think the goal is, you know, don't focus on the number, right? Focus yeah. on what you're doing, right? If you're doing, if you're making the right decisions, if you're approaching work the right way, if you're evaluating the risk and targeting the, the, the behaviors that are behind the risk, zero will happen, right? Uh, you know what I talk to you guys about. You know when when I teach or when I talk about uh, you know leadership and and talk to superintendents and uh, you know project teams is look. Think back and you know did you get hurt today? Uh, you know most people answer no. Did you get hurt yesterday? No. You know and most people can go back several weeks without getting hurt. So well there you go. You 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 got zero every day. Are you thinking about zero every day? right and if you're not then don't worry about it right do the things that will get you to the end of the day with no no injury right if you can do that every day then zero just happens right and you know what if it doesn't happen it's not the end of the world right we we've we've managed to risk to a point where we're reducing the likelihood of of injuries and if they do happen we're reducing the severity of those injuries right so that i think that's the goal right hurt less people and if they do get hurt hurt them less badly, right? So, right.
0: I mean, um, I mean, I just think it's always interesting. At what point in your career, if you've been doing this for a while, did you ever think that you'd be sitting around and talking about an ankle sprain? Somebody hurting their arm. That's, that wasn't the conversation 20 years ago. Correct. It was somebody either got dismembered. Mm-hmm. I, I won't go into more graphic details, which is easily <laughs> for me to do. Um, yeah. But it's, <laughs> those were the conversations in the past. Correct. And now it's like, okay, somebody twists their ankle. Hey, I'd rather have that conversation every day opposed to something worse.
1: Absolutely, you know, and so one of the things that that ties into that, right? So incident reporting, right? Near miss reporting is critical in that, right? So we can't we can't eliminate injuries if we don't know where they're coming from. And right. you know, I, I, I always find it interesting when I talk to to companies and I say, "Well, we want we want all the incidents to be reported." And I say, "Well, are you sure? Because you're going to see a spike, right? So you, you've been cruising pretty well with very little incidents, and now you're going to put emphasis on reporting." So Get ready for a roller coaster, right? And inevitably, I get that call. I hey, how come we had 15 incidents last week? I said, well, because we told them to report everything.
0: That's what you wanted.
1: Does it it mean that you had less last month? No, they just weren't reported, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when they're small, you know, things that could potentially happen on a day-to-day basis. They're just not being reported, right? Uh, So if we can can get to the reporting, right, and really put emphasis on reporting those incidents, um, even the near misses, right? Then we can really start looking at what conditions and what processes are leading to those near misses. Um, one of the things that I, that I focus on it's you know typically it's not so much the worker that that is quote unquote at fault. It's a process, right? It's typically a process issue that places the worker in a position where they're going to make the wrong choice, Right. right. So if we address the process, then we support the worker in making the right choices, right? Mm-hmm. And is it perfect? No, it's it's not a panacea, right? It's people some people will make bad choices no matter what we do. Right. But we're reducing the, the number of those people and, and limiting their effect.
0: Right. I mean, and in that it's exactly what you said. It's the actual employee team member triggers a latent condition inside of the organization that triggers X failure just really what it boils down to. What I always think is interesting is when people go in and ask people, ask people that work there, go, where's the next failure going to occur? They're pretty much willing to, to to kind of nail it exactly to the spot. They can tell you, well, we've seen an issue in this department and this is what we can fix going forward. Yep. It's always amazing on, on how workers are so intertwined on what's going on inside of the organizations.
1: They know what's going on in their world. I mean, if you really want to know how your safety program is doing, talk to your workers. Uh, you know, ma- management tends to you know, think that everything's great, right? Uh, they, you know, they associate the absence of injury with the presence of safety. Um, and we all know that that's not, that's not necessarily true, right? So um, I've always thought- Well, you know, it I'm,
0: depends on what clubhouse you're in. I mean, depending <laughs> on what side of the clubhouse you're in, you, you might think yes. differently. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but again, I, I think this is where, where the language ties back in, right? So, So being able to communicate with your workers, with your workforce- um, in a way that they feel comfortable communicating, right? Um, so being able to to bridge that language gap uh, becomes very helpful in identifying those, those safety gaps, right? Because they, they do know, they will tell you exactly where they are. Um, and they, not only that, they will tell you exactly what they can do to make it better. So we have to really be out there talking, engaging our workforce, listening to them, putting value in the feedback that they give us, right? Uh, no, we're not gonna raffle a truck every year, right? That's not part of the safety <laughs> program no, why not? <laughs> Put
0: it in the budget no, I'm
1: kidding. <laughs> yeah, but, but we can absolutely you know build a better ramp, right if <laughs> just to make something simple, right So th- those little small increments that they're asking for don't cost a lot. Um, th- they have a, a big return on investment, not just on the actual safety of the worker but in the mindset that they see that the organization is listening and is taking action on what they're suggesting. That's money in the bank.
0: And I think that that is our money in the bank for this, for this episode. I appreciate everything that you've done now. Jorge, if people want to know more about what you have going on, where can they go to find out more information?
1: Uh, they can visit my website, uh, the bilingualsafetyguy.com uh, uh, or jorge torres csp.com. It goes to the same place. Uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook.
0: Now, are you are you pretty active on LinkedIn? Where if the, if if they click on you, do you do you accept strangers? I always ask that question because I never know.
1: <laughs> I do, I do, I I accept just about everyone. Um, you know, <laughs>
0: hold on. So, well, what what's the default where they don't fall into the category? Uh, you said just you know, about.
1: <laughs> if, if, there, if there's no relation to safety or you know, like getting getting a, a request from someone overseas that works in I don't know marketing yeah it's like <laughs> you know I, I don't know i don't know that there's much much connection there um but yeah i mean anyone definitely you know any anyone that that just send me a message right when when you linked add a message and say hey you know heard you on the radio with uh with jay and you know would love to connect you know just give me something that's not just a marketing uh hit you know uh, <laughs> but <connected>. yeah <laughs> but I, I am pretty active and even, even then i mean it, you know uh, i i do respond to uh to uh vendors in some occasions I, I just you know i'll take this for you know, i don't make <laughs> purchasing decisions right but uh but i'm happy to connect right and and, and chat and and give you some perspective but um but no man i appreciate you having me uh, on the show jay i've been a big fan and, and listen to you frequently uh so it's an honor to be here
0: oh don't tell me that i'll turn red well i appreciate you coming on <laughs> well i appreciate the time that i got to spend with jorge torres today on the jay allen show i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did just for some news and information to share with you if you haven't come out to safety fm plus in a while i'm going to encourage you to do so we're taking these deep dives all of a sudden inside of the world of psychology and some people might be thinking well why are you doing that well because psychology plays into a little bit of everything and I figured that maybe we should start talking a little bit more about psychology because it ties so well in to our world of safety. If you want to find out more information, all you have to do is go to safetyfm at safetyfmplus.com to find out more information on what we have going on over there. Anyways, thank you for taking a listen to what we had going on today because we can't do what we do here without you. The most important part, the listener. This will bring another episode of The Jay Allen Show to an end. I'll see you next time. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com.